Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, en justicia y libertad. Welcome to the Magnificast, the podcast about Christmas this week. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Matt Bernicke. I'm your other co-host, Dean Delaf. Ho, ho, ho. The time is finally here. Um, for the last four weeks, we've been having to really restrain ourselves. We've been saying every week, it's not Christmas, it's Advent. But this week, it's Christmas. Or probably. Maybe it's shortly after Christmas. Maybe it's a little bit before. But it's, you know, Christmas. In the in the grand sense of cosmic time, it's as Christmas as it's going to get. As long as you're listening to this podcast, it's Christmas. That's right. Um, <laughs> this is This podcast is a portable bit of Christmas. You put it on in July even. It's Christmas now. Um, metaphysics. It's crazy. Anyways, on this podcast, we usually get up to all kinds of, you know, deep conversations about politics and religious stuff. And that's great. I mean, it's why most people listen to us in the first place. <laughs> so I don't want to squander that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but wait, we're about to. Yeah, but we're about to. But this week, uh, it is Christmas. So we're going to take it a little bit easy. Um, we're going to have the first ever Magnificast Christmas party. It's not going to be like a regular Christmas party. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that like it's going to be really cool, unlike regular Christmas parties. I'm th- I mean, it's a podcast where we're going to talk about Christmas stuff, and it's going to be great. So on our Patreon, uh, you might not know this, but on our Patreon, we have a second paywall type of podcast uh, called The Lock-In, where we host a fictional youth group, and we give good Christian advice to good Christian teens. Um, so for this episode, we thought we were going to dial it back a little bit. We're going to take a, take a little bit of a breather from talking about, I don't know, like violence or <laughs> Marxism or whatever. I mean, we'll probably talk about that anyways, but, you know, we're going to we're going to devote a little bit of time to answering some of the hottest and most pressing Christmas related Christian questions that we could find on the Internet. And then we're going to uh, talk about uh, all of the good Christmas current events that are happening. Um, so uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Patreon podcast, this is basically what we do every week. We come up with some questions that people ask on Reddit, and then we talk through them and, and make sure we can come up with some good, sound Christian advice for them. Uh, what am I missing, Dean? Is that is that it's it? That. We do the Reddit and we do current events. So it's a nice way to, uh, I guess, talk about what's really going on in the world instead of some of the thematic stuff we, we usually do. Um, to give people maybe a window into it, as Matt said, it's a fictional youth group. The idea is that your parents have dropped you off. You're stuck with us. You're two youth pastors. And we try to imagine all the wild quirks that our own youth pastors have demonstrated over the years, I guess, and embody the most cartoonified versions of them. But, uh, we don't go too far into it. It's a, it's a loose imaginative exercise. And I think one thing we do need to do for this, Matt, though, is, uh, decide what's the atmosphere here. Is this, um... Is this like the youth group Christmas party where uh, you kind of go, you do get a little bit of the Jesus stuff in there, but really you're there to watch like some big Christmas movie and just kind of yell with your friends? Or is this more of a classy thing? Have we do we have like, you know, uh, a fire by the side uh, where we can all sort of drink our cider um, and just share in the revelries of the season? What's the vibe for this kind of Christian Christmas party? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, okay, you know what? I could describe it with my words. I could paint a word picture of this Christian Christmas party that we have going on for our fictional youth group. But instead of painting a a, a word picture for you, I'm going to give you a smellscape. Okay, and great. And kind of go yeah. through that. Uh, so it's sweaty. It's stanky. It also smells like Papa John's pizza um, and also Axe body spray. So that tells you everything you need to know. Right, and then maybe... About this youth group that we Yeah, have. and maybe also like... 
some sort of like Febreze holiday scent just sort of mixed in there from some enterprising parent who was like, I had this in my car. They're trying their best. They're trying their best to get the stank out of these futons, but it's not. It's never coming out. Uh, And you can't burn them because we're in a climate emergency. Um, All right, Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with one Riddick question for you to open it up here. And I think it's going to take us a minute. So I'm looking forward to your response. The uh, title is Church Christmas Party Help. And uh, yeah, I know. Uh, What an appropriate time to talk about it. The body of the text goes like this. We have a church Christmas party happening in the next couple of weeks, and I'm still unsure how I should order the program. And I'm going to read you the program. People will be arriving at 6 p.m., then dinner around 6.15 p.m. There are about 30 people, so I assume dinner will be done in around 30 to 45 minutes. Here's a list of what's happening, and I'm not sure in what order to have them. A Christmas play, which will take 20 minutes max. A gift exchange. This will take around 30 minutes. Dessert, Christmas carols and worship. That's about 30 minutes. And speeches. (laughs) I was thinking to have Christmas carols and worship last, but I feel like people would leave straight after the speeches. The party will finish at around 9 to 9.30 p.m. Uh, Any other ideas or suggestions would be much appreciated. So, Matt, this desperate person has given us sort of the the building blocks of a great Christmas party that does include some speeches. And uh, I'm just curious about how you might order this and what kind of suggestions you'd have for such a Christmas party. This is so complicated. Um, Is this are there are there any details in there that I missed about the age group? Is this like a family event? It's just a church Christmas party and there are about 30 people. Oh, boy. See, um, if this was for teens, I would know exactly what to say. But the family makes it that much more complicated. Uh, Let's see. People, they hate eating in silence. You got to put the speeches right right there during during dinner when people are eating. You got to get a good speech going. What kind of speeches do you think people give at a Christmas party like this? <laughs> That's a great question. It really, really depends on the age group, too, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I would love to get up there and just tell everybody my biggest qualms with the movie. The <laughs> Right. I think that's what my speech would be about. It'd be it'd be all about how Tim Allen really did screw it up and uh, how we can all learn from learn from our uh, our past mistakes and the way that he did. You know, Okay, sidebar, though, the thing about the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus is a wild Christmas movie. And I do think we can just sort of bracket this question really quick to talk about it because it has been on my mind. And I've been in at least three separate conversations about it this year alone. I don't know if it's just like around in the air or it's just in my own brain and i'm kind of projecting that into the world and then finding it but uh there's a lot going on in it um i'm just gonna in broad strokes explain what goes on in this movie first of all uh when tim allen does take on the mantle of the santa claus uh after the first santa claus dies everybody remembers that part uh the wildest thing is not a single person mourns his death when they get back to the the north pole Like, everyone just sort of accepts that Tim Allen is stepping in, and the old Santa Claus was, I guess, like an awful despotic ruler. They all feel pretty good, or they're, like, immersed in their own work. It really seems like Santa's either incidental or a person not worth mourning, and I think that is a very important piece left unsaid. Also, uh, how wild is it that the Santa Claus is, like, uh, an extremely conservative movie about how, like, the one villain in that film, besides, I guess, like, the police who don't understand... Uh, the one villain is um, his ex-wife's liberal psychologist husband, who is like, I think you should probably see a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a bad movie overall, a typical Tim Allen film that I will watch in the next few days. Yep, it is a bad movie. It's so interesting that's come up so many times in your life though, recently. That's a synchronicity. Somebody might be uh, orchestrating something on the metaphysical realm uh 
for you. It could be. It could be Tim Allen himself. We're we're both uh, Michigan. <laughs> it's him. He's back there practicing his dark arts, trying to get you to watch his great movie about him becoming Santa Claus. Him murdering Santa Claus. Him manslaughtering man- Santa Claus, I guess. But still, it's his fault in the <laughs> right. end. It's his fault, and he doesn't yeah. even plan a funeral. You know, and also, <laughs> oh okay, the second one, though. Yeah, in the second one, the whole plot of the, of the Santa Claus 2 is he has to find a wife or else he can't that be sucks. Santa anymore. That really, like, we don't need any more help reinforcing sort of heteronormativity. And I think that that movie, it did, it did its it did its work and it was bad. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. But also, again, just returning to this uh, previous Santa who's out of the picture. Like, I guess if you're Santa and you died, is your wife just sort of dematerialized or she gets like banished into the cold of the North Pole? Like, what is going on here? Or I don't know, maybe he was still dating around. He, too, was a new Santa and just kind of hadn't quite figured it out yet. But I mean, his his timer was ticking as well. You know, the 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 rules of these films just uh, not the prequel where (laughs) where the Santa that Tim Allen does kill. He just got the job like a week before he just accidentally (laughs) murdered Santa previously. (laughs) And now he's going to kind of jump into it all. It was like between houses. The dirty, the dirty, awful Robert De Niro uh, Santa Claus. Um, he only had it for, you know, maybe a few different cities. And then uh, Tim Allen really swooped in on the same night. So the original question was what we're going to do with this Christmas party. And I think this is it, right? This is a speech that people need to hear. They need to, you know, this reminds me like in in the uh, in, in monasteries, right? There's always one of the monks that has to sort of during the mealtime give some kind of reading or um, f- from kind of, some kind of like moral source, right? The the monks, the brothers, they need some kind of moral instruction during their dinner. And I think this is exactly what you're suggesting here. So kind of taking a page from the the great tradition of Christianity and like, you know, proposing that people need to listen to this tragic story of the Santa Claus who did get murdered. Yeah, and I like that, too, because what you're doing is is also collapsing some of these uh, items into the same thing. Why separate uh, dinner and speeches? Absolutely. Why separate dessert and Christmas uh, carols, right? Uh, they can all happen at the same time. Um, and you're going to get out of the party quicker if you do that. And mm-hmm. I think that is what everybody really wants at the holiday. Yeah, I do. <laughs> exactly. People do want to get out of there. First of all, having it end at 930, no way. This is like come at 630, end at 7 o'clock. Let's just do yeah, it all at once. Let's right. do it all at once. We can eat eat dessert and then also do worship music all at the same time. And I think people just kind of figure it out. It'll be yeah, a and messy like we'll, occasion, but it's great. That's what people want. People are dying for this. Yeah, and, and we'll see how far we can get reading the Santa Claus script. And if we get to 30 minutes into the film, that's great. And if not, that's fine, too. <laughs> all right. Great. Well, we've solved it. Do it all at once. People don't want to be there in the first place is the thing that people need to know about church. <laughs> <laughs> especially social events. Um, all right. Well, here's, here's one for you, Dean. This is a tricky one. So um, f- again, for people who are not initiated to the sort of Patreon podcast, um, I have been going into the depths of the uh, Catholicism subreddit, finding the most deranged questions I can find. Um, sometimes deranged, sometimes completely <laughs> arbitrary and normal. Um, but I give them to Dean because he's the sort of, uh, he's the only person that can really speak to the big, the big pressing issues within Catholicism these days. Um, okay, so Dean, here's one for you. This one, this one seems normal on the on the face of it, but I feel like there's a lot of weird stuff going on here, just just beneath the surface. That's Catholicism. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. <laughs> okay, so the question is this: Can I shop for Christmas gifts on a Sunday? Right? That's it. That's the whole thing. That's all. That's the thing, man. Yeah, can you do it on a Sunday? And there's no body text or anything. There's not. 
And this was this was mm. submitted two days ago. This person has a limited amount of time until Christmas. They need to know. <laughs> I think they passed the one Sunday that they could have maybe done. Um, let me think. Okay, so it's just Christmas gifts. It's not anything no. else. It's not like no, okay. just Christmas gifts. And right, that's the qualifier. Hmm. I'm just trying to think of what would it be about a Christmas gift that would prevent you from shopping on a Sunday? What if okay? This question asker clearly is concerned about, I don't know, like this is the a holy day and maybe I shouldn't do mix my my consumerism and my Christmasism at, at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe you only have time to go on a Sunday. Uh, just hack it. Go to mass on a Saturday. No problem. Oh. Go to mass at like 6 p.m. or whatever it is. And uh, you're good to go. Free set free Sunday for Christmas shopping. Just do not shop on the Saturday. I always forget that Catholics have sort of like these workarounds for things like this that like you can mm-hmm. just you could just do Sunday. You can do your moral obligation to go to church on Saturday and then you can like on Saturday night even and then just hang out Sunday morning. That that is a pretty good deal. It rules. My parents took great advantage of it when we were kids because they did not want to like get us out of bed. So they'd be like, well, we're going to Saturday mass. We've got nothing else to do. No basketball practice tonight. Uh, well, let's all go to church and then we can all sleep in. It's a great. Hack. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So later down in the comments here, people are asking <laughs> rightfully, why couldn't you do this? What's wrong with right. going Christmas shopping on a Sunday? <laughs> and the uh, the OP says, well, it supports unnecessary labor. Hmm. So I would say do not go shopping on Christmas. 100%. Oh, absolutely not. If you're a, and also um, if you're a boss who does make your employees work on Christmas. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? OK, this is I try my best not to be like, a, um, I don't know, like I try not to live my life where I'm sort of calculating up like the the moral scale or like the moral quantities of every little decision that I make, because that's a bad way to live your mm-hmm. life. I've tried it. It's not good. Um, but the one thing that I definitely 100% am like an extremely hardline stickler on is like I will never, ever spend money on a holiday. It just feels like <laughs> evil and violent as a person who did work retail and had to work on holidays. Uh, it is the absolute worst thing to be like, uh, like to see people happy <laughs> coming into the place where you are stuck working is an awful, awful feeling. So uh, this uh, this holiday, don't do it. Don't spend a single dollar on Christmas. Or Christmas Eve or Boxing Day. Just forget <laughs> yeah. it. Just stay home. <laughs> it's a good idea. Um, listen, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're traveling. You got to get gas or whatever. I don't know. It's such a hard thing. But don't do it. <laughs> but don't do it if you can. <laughs> it's such an important thing. Um, making people work on Christmas is horrendous. I hate it. I think making people work in general is bad. But Christmas, it's especially bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. We've done it. Do you have any other questions oh, over yeah. there? I have one that? more that's really okay, all right. there's a lot going on for this with this one. This might this might take a few more minutes. Um okay. Great. So uh this one's not Christian uh sorry, this one is not Christmas specific, but you'll see you'll see the search term I was using in the body of this one. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh this is a this is a tough one, like I said. Would it be illicit to pretend to read a relative's future in order to tell him that he needs to chill? <laughs> So one of my relatives has an anger problem. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> one of my relatives has an anger problem and thanks to a YouTube video about how and why astrologists lie to their customers. A lot of things. Listen, I don't endorse this. I got the idea to engage that relative by pretending to read his future with the sole intention of letting him know that he has to stop being a Grinch already. Mm-hmm. So is this illicit? <laughs> Normal conversations won't work as he will always find ways to turn it into an argument. 
He hates receiving unsolicited advice. So, Dean, on his face, this is not a Christmas question, but I'm going to add the provision that this person is angry during Christmas. I mean, you know, we're coming we're coming to this time where maybe you're going to see your family. Um, maybe your family members have bad political opinions that they're going to tell you a lot about at Christmas dinner. So in that scenario, if you were sitting around the big Christmas dinner table and then your uncle Jeffrey is telling you all about uh, Joe Biden and how he's a part of the Illuminati and he's also going to eat, you know, a baby or two, um, would it be illicit to pretend to read Uncle Jeffrey's future in order to tell him that he needs to chill out? No way. I love it. This is a great workaround. Nobody wants to talk to Uncle Jeffrey about being angry. Uh, you know, it's just going to make him more angry. But uh, I love the idea that you could sit him down and say, all right, look, um, let's do a really fun, simple thing. Uh, you know, it's not an intervention, nothing like that. We're just going to I'm going to read your future. And then you do say, yeah, you should chill for sure, because what I see is high blood pressure. I see, you know, whatever uh, you're going to uh, hurt yourself, etc. Um, and also, it looks kind of like you're gonna like buy me a new video game for Christmas. I don't, it's just what I see like in the palm. I think you know you can really ride this grift pretty hard in your family, and you can be the future person, and you you will create the future that you say. So it may not even be false. You might not even be lying. You're just sort of uh, you know you're you're putting into the world the desire that you want, and who knows, maybe you yourself will find it there. And listen, if uh, Uncle Jeffrey turns out to be a little less mad, that can only be a positive. Okay, but in the in in your example here, you said that you see high blood pressure in his future. You see, you know, whatever. And, okay, fine. But would you put it in the form of astrology for Uncle Jeffrey? Is that is that a sin? I think, um, right, astrology specifically, uh, if Uncle Jeffrey is down to uh, to listen to the stars, that's great. But I think you're going to have to expand your repertoire because you are going to have to learn palm reading. You are going to have to learn uh, just sort of a variety of, you know, card reading and so on, just so that you can kind of keep the grift going, too. Uh, let's say it doesn't happen. You, do, you don't get the video game for Christmas and someone calls your bluff. You can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Like. The stars, I was too much of a novice. What I'm really good at is palm reading, right? And you can just kind of keep cycling around. So, Dean, what I hear you advocating to the to the good people of the Catholic subreddit is that they should practice witchcraft in the occult. <laughs> no, no, no. See, that's where you're wrong. They shouldn't practice witchcraft in the, in the occult. They should lie. <laughs> they should lie about practicing witchcraft in the occult. It's a completely different thing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I agree with you. I think that this is a great strategy. Um, you know, family, they're impossible to talk to. It can be very difficult. Lots of things going on in the background there. So what if you made a big lie that would make them listen to you? I think that's cool. Um, you know, somebody in the comments says, no, soothsaying is wrong and lying is wrong. But this person should shut up. They don't know Uncle Jeffrey. And uh, I agree with you, Dean. I think this is right. Yeah. Lying to your family you're is not okay saying sooth. as long as you're, you know, doing it for a very good reason. <laughs> Yeah, it's so important to to identify and underline here. You're not soothsaying. You're not saying sooth. You you are just uh, you're doing somebody a favor. And it's, you know, in in the case of Uncle Jeffrey in particular, it's no different than being like, I don't know. Did someone get a bad haircut? Yes. <laughs> but should you tell them it's a bad haircut? No. Um, I think it's even it's an even a higher level than that. What you're really doing for Uncle Jeffrey is saying, uh, look, these are the natural consequences. This is the direction your life is going to take. But I'm packaging it in such a way that you're not going to feel like I'm calling you out. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, there's so many directions you can go with this, too, right? Like you could start reading some tea leaves. You could bring 
an assortment yeah. of like uh, knuckle bones to kind of cast and scry <laughs> or something. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do here for Uncle Jeffrey. You can pull the hair out of the drain if you get desperate. I mean, there's there, it does. There's no place that it ends, and that's really the beauty of the strategy. It's great. Well, um, we are hoping the best for all of you and your Uncle Jeffrey's. Your I'm sorry, your uncle's Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it's a it's a tough time. Christmas is always weird, um, especially with the uh, pandemic raging. It is just weirder. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, everyone's safe and healthy and not dying. That's the best. That's what we want for you. Um, cool. Well, we've we've answered these very Christmassy kinds of questions in the most Christian way we possibly could by advocating for you to lie to your family. Uh, but now we're going to talk about some uh, some upcoming or current events uh, or maybe just some articles that have come out very recently that have to do with Christmas. Um, this is the part of the podcast that uh, we just talk about whatever's going on kind of in the <laughs> in the given week. Uh, so, Dean, what's happening? What's going on? What's what are Catholics all talking about for Christmas? <laughs> Who knows? I couldn't tell you. Uh, but what I can tell you is something going on this week that is Christmas related. Um, and uh, this is also, I should say, usually the point of the podcast where you make a bit of a tonal shift, and we're about to make one now for sure. Oh, it's not silly anymore. That's the yeah, thing you gotta know. Yeah, we're we're putting putting the goofs away for a minute. Um, this is an article in America Magazine by Kevin Clark, a person I really like, who edited almost everything I wrote <laughs> when I was writing a lot for America. So a good person that you should read. Um, he wrote this article called uh, "Patriarch Saba: This Christmas There Is No Peace on Earth." in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And uh, it's a good reported piece, just talking about Palestine and issues around it, and I'll kind of um, read a few quotes from it in a second. But I was happy to find it because uh, I recently watched a film called Open Bethlehem, which was a really interesting documentary uh, about sort of like, I mean, a lot of things, but really exploring the bizarre landscape of Bethlehem specifically and... Like, so Bethlehem, okay, I don't know. People who listen to this podcast probably know, right? Uh, Israel is uh, colonizing and settling Palestine in these really really brutal ways. Um, Palestine is basically an open-air prison. It's a very bad situation. So in this documentary, uh, it looks at Bethlehem, you know, the town of Jesus' birth. That town is actually in Palestinian territory. And uh, in the film, they're kind of like chronicling Israel building this wild wall that is like cutting the town of Bethlehem in all these weird ways so that they can like cordon off different particular like holy sites and uh, restrict people's access to them. It's like very bad and really wild, obviously. Um, But what is so what was so moving about the documentary, I think, is the way that it does kind of trade on. um, All these different ways that like Bethlehem as a place should be a sort of you know, uh, open place. And it is also a, a symbolic resistance to building walls up to, you know, hurt other people and so on. And um, anyway, it really got me interested too to kind of learn more about like Christian voices for Palestinian liberation. And there are a lot of those. There's a whole Palestinian liberation theology movement that is really fascinating. So anyway, all that to say, I stumbled across this article by Kevin and it's really good. Uh, So a few important words that are said in it. I'll read a little bit. In a sobering message from the Holy Land, the Latin Patriarch Emeritus of Jerusalem, Michelle Saba, urged Catholics in the United States to acknowledge the little town of Bethlehem as it actually is this Christmas, not as it is depicted in song and tradition. 
Amid the nostalgia and ancient memories of the first Christmas in Bethlehem, there is today a long-sustained religious romanticism, he said. He called that Christmas time romanticism understandable but not realistic. When you celebrate Christmas, remember that in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem, life is not a Christmas life. It is not the blessed life of the new redeemed humanity. The song of the angels is far away. Uh, and uh, he goes on to say a lot of other things as well, talking about the, you know, the trauma of that kind of life and so on. And then uh, he says later, with the focus on the child Jesus, we must ask anew, what about the children of Bethlehem of Palestine? What about the required protection and human security for all of God's children? In the face of the Israeli occupation and insecurity, children suffer, natural innocence is stolen, random violence and vulnerability robs mothers of peace for their children in Bethlehem and throughout the Holy Land. Uh, I think, like, I mean, go read the rest of the article. There's more important stuff in it and so on. Uh, but I think for me, it is really important to kind of keep reading that stuff, especially at Christmas time, because, you know, like I think of those songs that you hear like a little time of Bethlehem or even, you know, like Silent Night, these songs that paint a picture of Jesus's birth as being like super placid, very calm, uh, totally sanitized, that kind of thing. And uh, not only do those songs do sort of a, a pretty severe um injustice i think to like the actual radical situation of jesus's birth as the the liberating messiah um but also today it sort of like it paints bethlehem for instance as this mythical place that is uh i don't know like an oasis of peace or something when it is literally a place where people are like being starved and killed you know daily and like what an incredible and awful contradiction to the thing that you know millions and millions of christians around the world are sort of thinking about right now at this very moment but not thinking about that literal physical geographical site so it's a good article i encourage people to read it and uh to learn more about palestinian liberation i guess this christmas dang what an amazing thing that is really fascinating i mean you're right like i don't know i was at church this past sunday and heard all about um you know, um, Mary's pregnancy and they're going to different places and, you know, in, in the early parts of the, the gospel, getting ready for Jesus to be born or whatever. But those are like our real places. You know, it's not Middle Earth. There's a real thing happening there. And the people there still struggle, um, you know, uh, under under a type of colonialism. Woof. Um, well, cool. I mean, it definitely gives you a different vibe about Christmas, <laughs> I think, for sure. Probably <laughs> for the better. Yeah, always good to find those political themes in the Christmas story, but even better to try to uh, see what they actually do for us today. Yeah, totally. Well, speaking of political themes in the Christmas story, I got I got a good one for you. I'm ready. Um, okay, in Time Magazine, uh, that's right, the Time Magazine that, that did just put Elon Musk as the <laughs> cover as the person of the year, um, recently published a very a very very brief article um, by. Uh, the Reverend William Barber, the second, um, you might know him as the, I don't know, the poor people's campaign guy, the, the guy who's in charge of the repairs of the breach. I don't know. He's like a, he's kind of within the world of like Christian social justice for sure. Everyone, everyone knows him. If you don't know who he is, I don't know. Google, Google William Barber, man. You'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's uh, he's a very cool guy. Um, and I like him a lot. I've said on this podcast before and I'll say it again <laughs> right now. Anyways, I, I digress. Um, this, uh, just, I think two days ago in time magazine, he wrote a very brief article that I think is actually really important, even though it is short. Um, it is called what low wage workers understand about the true meaning of Christmas. 
um, which I saw that that headline and I was like, okay. <laughs> but um, I was I was nonplussed. I was not convinced this is going to be a good article, but I thought I was going to read it because I don't know. Why not? <laughs> what else am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I want to read two chunks of this article and then we can talk about it maybe a little bit. Yeah, because um, I think there's a lot going on here that uh, would be good for conversation. But it's also, um, I think, some really fantastic rhetoric. Um, Christianity, if nothing else, has a powerful rhetoric to kind of call um, call the things that are unjust call the things that are unjust in the world out in a really stark way. And uh, this happens for sure in a lot of Reverend Barber's work, but in this one particularly. Okay. So like I said, it's going to be a chunk. So just strap in for this, uh, for me reading this. It's like this podcast is becoming an audiobook. Just <laughs> get ready. Okay. The manger scenes that decorate homes and churchyards this time of year remind us the first century shepherds were the original witnesses to the good news of Jesus. The low wage workers of their day, shepherds in first century Palestine, were either young boys from poor families or migrant workers, the same class of people who work for less than a living wage today in the food service and hospitality industry. The angels in the Christmas story do not entrust the message of peace on earth, goodwill to all people, to the religious leaders, to the politicians or influencers of the ancient world. Low wage workers get the news while they are working in the fields. They walk off the job and become the first witness to the Messiah's birth. As we celebrate in 2021, low-wage workers are again walking off their jobs in historic wildcat strikes that many Americans have misunderstood as simply, quote, supply chain issues or a slow economic recovery. When COVID-19 shut down much of the world in 2020, the low-wage workers who stock shelves, deliver food, and clean our public spaces could not work from home. They continued to show up in person. Often traveling by public transportation on their commutes and at their jobs, they were the first to be exposed to an airborne virus, the first to get sick and the first to die. In the early months of the pandemic, poor and low-income Americans were the single group at greatest risk of death from COVID-19. At the end of the article, uh, Barbara says this. At this critical moment in the story of American democracy, the message of Christmas the shepherds first proclaimed is the good news we need. This is why the Poor People's Campaign will continue to organize for voting rights and investment in the people. It's why low-wage workers are willing to walk off their jobs en masse to insist on better wages. It is why we are planning a mass Poor People's Assembly and more march in Washington. As we celebrate Christmas, may we remember to listen to low-wage workers and heed the good news they are still proclaiming for all people. Okay. I really like this article for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, Reverend Barber's right. I think this is like a, um, I mean, at the end, right? He's talking about COVID. And he's talking about the people who like really still have to show up for work. The people whose work is, you know, made invisible by um, all kinds of different capitalist mechanisms. Um, whether it's just like a weird mentality about how work gets done or it's like the literal hiding of people um, in like warehouses or in the back of shops or something. Right. Uh, So drawing attention to those people are great. But I think the larger religious and spiritual point here is really fascinating. Um, Connecting like connecting the shepherds who are the first people to get to Jesus being born to like actual low wage workers walking off their job, I think is Mm -hmm. really amazing. Um, And um, connecting up the, the struggle too, right. The drawing the parallel between workers finding like the good news of their empowerment, the good news that they have a voice when they stand together, the good news that a strike works to make your boss pay attention to the good news of Jesus coming to kind of like overturn the world. That's a that's as good as it gets for Christmas, I think. I don't know. Um, I think when it comes to Christmas, largely, I'm very much of a Charlie Brown kind of person. It's too commercial. I don't want to do any of it. <laughs> I think it's very <laughs> annoying. Um, but I think that Reverend Barb is right um, that uh, if, if Christmas is about anything, it's about uh, flipping the whole world upside down um, and people who are already at the bottom 
um, people who are, you know, service workers, who are low-wage workers, who are farm workers, who are, you know, always getting the shit into the deal. They're the people who are going to tell us all about it. Yeah, I like that. And it is so cool to kind of hear someone like Reverend Barber who has the courage to make those parallels really direct to uh, to draw a line from the shepherds to low-wage workers in a way that makes the text uh, creative and, and alive for us today instead of just being like, Overly concerned about some kind of literalism or whatever. Um, what you need to see about the lo- the wise yeah. ones, though, they're actually Zoroastrians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's, who cares? <laughs> it's so important to like activate the text in that way. Um, you know, it reminds me too of like there was so much of that happening at the height of the labor movement in the U.S. and Canada, both. Um, like in the kind of first half of the 20th century. Like, it was definitely not unusual to find pastors who would go out of their way to talk about, you know, Jesus the carpenter and uh, upsetting the equivalent of the Board of Trade back then, right? That's how people would talk about it. And uh, there's a lot of power in kind of making those um, resonances between Christ's time and our time uh, more clear. Um, Like, you know, in, in the Renaissance, people would always, like, paint pictures of, like, all these folks in regular Renaissance European clothes standing around Jesus and these kind of crucifixion scenes. And there's something about that, that like, I think today people are sort of afraid to do. It's maybe like a weird combination hangover of like modernist obsessions with like getting things scientifically accurate and like fundamentalist anxieties about like departing from the text, both of which kind of miss everything that is interesting (laughs) about the Bible. Um, So it's cool to have Reverend Barber connect some of those dots for us today at Christmas time. Yeah, I agree. Um, the approach that that Barbara's taking to the Bible here, and, and just like you mentioned a minute ago, right, like the the approach that many um, Christians have taken who have been active in the labor movement, you know, it's not about uh, what they're doing is um, speaking prophetically. They're making connections that actually make a difference for people. You know, it's not just like, I mean, listen, exegesis is great. Biblical studies are fine. I'm not particularly interested in that. But I'm, I know that other people are, and it's probably for the better. But, like, there is a tendency, I think, for um, very intellectual Christians to, like, just kind of be, be like, you know, nerds about it in the worst way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you have to be a nerd about, like, whatever, whatever something meant in the particular cultural moment or whatever when the gospel is written. And I guess that, that's important. But also, like, if it's not speaking to people in the moment, if you can't draw these types of parallels now where they actually matter – then it's hard to make me care in particular, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. You know, you can be a, you can, you can bracket some of your nerd, your nerding out about like, I don't know, cultural moments, the cultural history of like, um, you know, Palestinian people or whatever in, in this like uh, first century uh, for like what this, what these like uh, these documents and like tradition of reading them might actually mean for Christians. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like, it's like, what does it mean to get the text right? I guess. And like getting it right in kind of an academic or scholarly way is certainly one way to get it right, I guess. And, and an an important one, like you said, but also getting it right in a kind of spiritual sense, I think is to, you know, make it work, like (laughs) make it do something in the world. Like uh, Reverend Barber is getting it right by like being willing to just kind of play fast and loose with it because the, you know, the workers are the people that Jesus wants to hang out with. Yeah, I think that's right. So, I don't know. This holiday season, it's good to make those connections in our own brains. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Leave 
leave the biblical scholarship aside for a minute and see what we can do with the text or like what it helps us do or something. Um, anyways, it's a cool article. Um, and, uh, it is really important in a time where I think like low wage workers and service workers, I mean, all, workers in general, but like workers who make very little money are really being hung out to dry. Um, you know, the, the whole, the, the Biden agenda that we've talked about in previous weeks about build back better hasn't really come through. Uh, and it, and it probably just won't, it probably is now dead, um, because of a very annoying politician, um, named Joe Manchin and he sucks and like, whatever we can be mad at him. That's fine. Um, but anyways, like, I, I mean, that's, these types of things are really important because like this holiday season, there are people who won't be getting the child tax credit anymore. There'll be people who aren't getting unemployment. There are people who, you know, will, they, they'll have to go to, they'll have to go to work sick or they'll have to miss a paycheck. Right. That's a real decision that they're going to actually have to make. Um, so I don't know, let's hope that they walk off the job and show us uh, a better world's possible or something. Yep, let's hope for it for sure, and also try our best, I guess, to create the conditions for them to do that. <laughs> Donate to strike funds, whatever. <laughs> Find your local five for fifteen people and give them some money. I mean, um, just like go, go find find where people are on strike and like go out there. I mean, it's happening all over the place these days. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you can't uh, escape it. Or well, you can also just like give a give a call to a place that is on strike or give a call to a place that is is uh kind of in the middle of a labor dispute and just try to talk to them about about it um you're going to find something very fun and that is that managers and uh the owners of those types of places they don't want to talk to you but uh <laughs> if you want to talk to them you can make their life very annoying at the very least you can have you can help them have a bad day and that's maybe what they need yeah for real they're making other people's days bad so it just uh, makes sense. Um, let's see. This is the end of our Christmas lock-in Magnificast special. Uh, I hope that it's been a good one. And the uh, the the stench, this potpourri of um, Christmas air freshener and body odor, etc., is only going to get stronger. So we do have to get out as soon as we can. Um, it's very important. It's a safety hazard if anybody stays too long. Uh, in the fiction of this podcast, also typically, uh, this is when your parents roll up and you can decide for yourself if you, you know, are like stumbling out, you, you did, you were the person who didn't sleep at all. You stayed up the whole time and now you might be kind of regretting it, but you want to admit it to your friends. Um, you could be the person who also went to bed early and now you're refreshed and, uh, you're like ready to go home and, uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. However you decide that you participated in this lock-in, um, that's what you get to sort of think about as the outro plays. And uh, we hope you had a really good Christmas, a really good holiday, and we'll see you next week. Un mundo mejor, sin miseria ni opresión.